This morning's Bible reading comes from Jonah chapter 1, and you can find it on page 925 of the Blue Church Bibles. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. When the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up, all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Great. Thank you, Andrew. Well, it's a great story, isn't it? And like many stories, it shows us about the world we live in uh, and about our place in that world. Uh, this part of Jonah, you'll notice I've divided the talk up into three parts. It tells us about people who don't know God, it tells us about Jonah and just quietly a bit about us, and it tells us about God. But before we look at Jonah itself, I thought a bit of context would be helpful. From the beginning of Israel, we read that uh, God had a plan and that God's plan wasn't just for Israel but it included all nations. So in Genesis 12, we see this. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, we remember the first bit of this, don't we? That Abram, 
later known as Abraham, he'll be a blessing. And Israel are God's people. But what we see actually is the end of that, verse 3, God's plan is that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Israel doesn't just exist for Israel's sake. Israel exists for everyone else's sake too. There's another mention of Jonah in the Bible on the subject of context. And it comes in uh, 2 Kings chapter 14. And they're showing us that Jonah was an historical person. And it starts like this. In the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria. And he reigned 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebohamath to the Dead Sea. In accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. Now this doesn't say actually when Jonah lived, but it does tell us that he lived um, before Israel was destroyed. And it was destroyed by the northern kingdom, presumably where Jonah lived. Um, we do know certainly that he lived in Gath-Hefer in Israel. We don't know quite when, but we know that it was before it was destroyed. And so Jonah is sent to Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria, which is the country that ultimately destroyed his country. And so just to put it in perspective quickly, uh, there's a bit of a timeline of the Bible. Um, You can see there the long straight line. We start on the left with God created the world. Then we move across the fall, flood, exodus, and then um, the centre bit before the Lines go up and down is uh, sort of David and then Solomon and the temple was built. And then we have king of Israel split into the northern kingdom being what is often called Israel and the southern kingdom or Judah. So we're in the time most likely between the split and certainly before the exile to Assyria. So just in that bit up there and of course uh, long before Jesus, about a thousand years before Jesus. So that's a bit of where we are. So God's plan was always for the nations to know him, not just for Israel to be themselves. And God sent Jonah to Nineveh, the capital of the country, that would ultimately destroy Israel. So to the book of Jonah. Firstly, looking at people who don't know God. And God says that they have a great city. See verse 2 of Jonah chapter 1. He says, go to the great city of Nineveh. See, Nineveh is not just any city. And God doesn't even refer to it as an evil city or a large but insignificant city. He calls it a great city. It's a sign that God cares about Nineveh. But did you pick up the reason that God wants Jonah to go there? He wants Jonah to go there because it is wicked. Verse 2. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. See, God sends Jonah to Nineveh because of its wickedness. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm tempted sometimes to think there was something good about me that caused God to want to send someone to preach the gospel to me. But it's funny, isn't it? Why did God send someone to Nineveh? 
because of its wickedness. What does God think of us? Actually, it's funny when Jesus is teaching his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. I think it's, it's almost like he gives us a bit of a clip. You know how AFL players, when they're playing their AFL, they run around and being very big and tough. And when they run past each other, they don't just run past each other. They always have to go, boom, on the way past. Just to, you know, just a show. Just give a bit of a clip. I think Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount uh, gives us a bit of a clip. He's describing other stuff. And he says, Matthew 7, verse 11, If you then, though you're evil. And so on he continues. He just assumes that that's us. That we're evil. Just like the people of Nineveh are not good. So we aren't good. And some people think it's, it's awful that God thinks that I'm not good. But I actually say it's a great comfort. Because if God thought I was good and me being in his good books relied on me being good, then that would be just awful, wouldn't it? Because every time we did something bad or we showed ourselves to be not good, you think you'd, you'd lost. You think you're in the bad books with God. That's not how it is. God loves us. He loves us even though we're evil. And it also means that, of course, that when we speak to others, we can't think we're better than them. Because we, we have the same description, don't we? That same disease, evil. And it means that whatever people are like, we can speak to them about God. Because after all, God sends Jonah to, and others of course, to evil people. Because they are wicked. Well, while the people from Nineveh are wicked, uh, this passage also shows us that those who don't know God are not all bad. See, after, after uh, God sent the great storm, verse 5 we read, All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. So the, from right there we see they're concerned. They throw the cargo, not Jonah, overboard. And when Jonah says, verse 12, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied. And it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. So how did the men respond to that? Verse 13. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. See, these people are nice. Actually, they're nicer than Jonah, aren't they? Which is a bit awkward. They show us, they show us what we should be like. Their level of concern for Jonah is, is so admirable that even after Jonah says the storm's his fault, they still want to save him. Now, I don't know about you, but I often find it easier to hang around with Christians because, after all, you know, they're nice. They share our values. I do spend uh, most Thursday nights, uh, play soccer, and then we often go to the pub afterwards and we have a good chat with a bunch of guys. None of the other guys in the team at the moment are Christians. But actually, they're lovely. They're generous. They're kind, uh, often more loving and generous than I am, which is a rebuke to me, but it's also a comfort, isn't it? Because as we're called to make disciples and to tell others about Jesus, actually, they're not all going to be extremely annoying to us. They're often nice, and I can enjoy their company. 
But another surprising aspect of the people who don't know God is how they end up. And they end up worshipping God. Verse 16. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. And did you notice uh, when they worshipped the Lord? See, we often cry out to the Lord when we're in trouble. When something's going wrong, many people pray, don't they, when something's going wrong. But when did these people pray? When did they sacrifice? It's actually when the trouble's over. So we can be disappointed how few people follow God and we can give up talking to him. But this story reminds us that there are several reasons to talk to others. See, those who don't know God are nice to Jonah. God actually sends his message, messenger to evil people. And in this case, the sailors, they end up worshipping God. But in contrast to the people who don't know God, uh, this passage tells us about Jonah and just quietly and us. See, I think Jonah is normal. He's like us, isn't he? He doesn't always do what God says. And looking from outside, you've got to say, Jonah's actions are funny. See, God says, go to the great city of Nineveh. Verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. It's understandable that Jonah would run away. It'd be hard to go to a great city and preach there. But it's funny, isn't it? And it's funny because we, we just expect the prophet to do what God says. For example, Ezekiel 3.3. 3. Then he, that is God, said to me, Son of man, eat this scroll I'm giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it. That's what we're used to. God says this, the prophet does that. God speaks to Jonah. Jonah does the opposite. It's really quite funny. It is like God has said to one of us, go to Melbourne. And instead, Jonah has gone to India. According to Wikipedia, that great source of knowledge, um, actually it's a good source of knowledge, isn't it? Uh, we don't know where Tarshish is. But the best guesses uh, is probably somewhere in Spain. And there's a slide of it here, and it just gives the impression. So um, I hope you can see that he was supposed to go, what is it, a little bit that way, a little bit to your right and up. And instead, he's headed the complete opposite direction, going past, well, virtually every city in the known world. (laughs) He's genuinely funny. And then he's also funny because of his action in the storm. So the storm is raging. Everyone's afraid. But in verse 5, But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Now, something's not quite right, is it? Sailors are calling their God. Jonah isn't calling on his on the other hand, you think, well, perhaps it's because Jonah trusts God and that's why he can sleep. Or perhaps because he had nothing to pray. After all, what was he supposed to pray? I assume he knew he could stop the storm by just saying to the sailors, hey, guys, let's just head back towards um, Nineveh and I reckon this storm's going to stop. But he doesn't, does he? And then he gives an answer to the sailors and it's funny. Verse 9, he answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Sorry, Jonah, what was that? 
you worship that God and you're trying to run away from him? Are you, are you stupid? And you say you worship him. Well, it doesn't look like you're worshiping him, does it? You're doing the exact opposite to what he said. And it's also funny because Jonah has a plan. And even the plan isn't, let's head back to Nineveh. Verse 11, the sea was getting rough and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea come down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea. That's quite laughable, isn't it? We can point at Jonah and we can laugh. Um, And I think we're probably supposed to. But I dare say that when we point in Jonah at laugh, it's a bit like pointing at ourselves and laughing because, well, I assume we've ignored God, haven't we? And when we're too busy or it just seems too hard or perhaps we simply don't want to. Uh, some of you will know Chris Jolliffe. Uh, he's been a minister in uh, Trinity Network for over 15 years and he um, often dresses up as strange characters to do kids' talks like Where's Wally or a German character Hans or, as per the picture up here, John the Baptist. Often he's his kids' talks, he'll make fun of the ways we live. For example, he might say, some people think they need to worship God on Sunday. Well, as though God said, love the Lord your God with one-seventh of your heart. That would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? And Chris wants us to laugh at us, wants us to laugh at him, but also to laugh at ourselves because, well, our behaviour can be a bit like that, can't it? A bit ridiculous. And then think, well... Perhaps I should do differently. I think laughing at Jonah is fine, but, well, I think we do need to laugh at ourselves too, don't we? See, a lot of Christians say we should pray more. I wonder if you've heard yourself saying that. I think, why do you say that? If you should pray more, then why aren't you praying more? Um, You know, why wouldn't you pray enough? Our actions can seem silly, but like Jonah, it's not always easy, isn't it? Well, Jonah starts off worse than the sailors. So he brings them trouble, but they do what they can to save Jonah. For example, he says, I know it's my fault. This great storm has come on you. He brings trouble. But the funny thing is, in the end, do you notice how Jonah reacts to them? He's actually loving, isn't he? Because he's willing to give himself up for the sailors. He says, verse 12, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. So he doesn't say, just keep rowing. I said before, I think the best answer would have been, take me back towards Nineveh. But it's not a bad answer because it works. And given that uh, Jonah presumably didn't know how to swim, he was in the middle of the ocean, I mean, he was saying, basically kill me. Um, And it's interesting, isn't it? Because Jonah was willing, so willing to care for these people in the end that he loves them enough to die for them so that they might live. And so he actually becomes an example for us. He changes from putting himself first and what he wants first to loving others and helping them survive. And it's an example that we should all follow. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 puts it this way, how we should change. See, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See, that's the sort of people we need to be, isn't it? Like Jonah, we may be heading our one day, 
but it says repentance is the way to go. And that is just to turn around completely. We don't have to say, oh, I've been going on this way, it's too late. It's time for us to turn around. And like Jonah, despite being perfect, he loves others. So we've seen what uh, people who don't know God are like. We've seen what Jonah is like. And now let's have a look at God and we see that he is in control. So in control, it's scary, isn't it? Verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Scary stuff, isn't it? So scary that verse 5, all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. In a storm, it's often the passengers who are scared, isn't it? And the crew are walking around saying, you know, we'll be right, calm down. But this storm created by God is so scary, the sailors themselves are afraid. And then we see how in control God is because he goes on to be in control of a game of chance. Verse 7, Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. But even more scary than the raging storm or the drawing of lots, is how the storm stops. Verse 15. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. See, that is genuinely scary, isn't it? I don't know if you've been in many storms, but my experience of storms and water is this. The storm can stop, the wind can stop quite quickly, can't it? One moment, and then it's quite still. But the waves, on the other hand, the waves go on for ages, days usually, you'd expect. A few years ago, we went to the Sunshine Coast uh, with a family for a holiday. Uh, we got there, and it was, we'd timed it quite nicely. We arrived just after a cyclone. So a cyclone had been through, um, gone. Rain had finished, wind had finished, sun was out, looked great. But when we got there, we were staying near the beach, you know, as you do on the Sunshine Coast. And my son said, oh, that's all right. We've got bigger waves than this at Glenelg. He was about eight and um, thought it wasn't a problem. And we walked down to the beach. You sort of get a bit more perspective. The closer we got to the waves, the bigger he realised they were until he finally realised they were about twice his size. And he said, no, we don't have waves like this at Glenelg. <laughs> See, that's what waves are like, isn't it? Days after the cyclone had passed, they were still huge. But Jonah, verse 15, the raging sea grew calm. That's power. It shows that Jonah's God really is God. He's powerful enough to make a storm and big waves. But more scarily, he's powerful enough to stop those waves. And he calls on us to trust him. And as we try and trust him, we can know that he is powerful. See, many of Jesus' commands 
require trust. For example, Matthew 6.25 says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. But seek first his kingdom. Just skipping over. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. See, it's scary to seek God's kingdom first, isn't it? But we can know that God is that powerful, that he is able to take care of our clothes and our food, just like he can take care of a storm. Well, even though God is so powerful, he wants to use us, ordinary people, for his purposes. See, God could have just sent his loud voice to speak to Nineveh, couldn't he? Could have gone, I want to speak to Nineveh. Nineveh, you are evil. He could have just sent a loud voice, but he doesn't. He sends Jonah. And he doesn't just send Jonah. When Jonah runs away, he grabs Jonah and brings him back to make sure he uses Jonah. And he causes Jonah to teach the sailors about God, uh, even though Jonah wasn't thinking about that and he was just trying to run away. And it's not just Jonah that God wants to speak. He wants us all to speak. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. He says to his disciples, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always. See, Jesus there, he says, make disciples. That's what he wants. Now, we might say, I'm not good enough to speak about God. But Jonah wasn't good enough, was he? And Jesus doesn't say, be good enough to speak about me. He says, go and make disciples. Or as Paul says, uh, Philippians 1 verse 18, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. See, we, we may not be great. We may not even have the right motives. But God wants even those with impure motives to spread his message. People like Jonah and people like me and people like you. And God also shows us in this passage that he is kind. See, at many levels, God is kind. He didn't have to send a messenger to Nineveh. He could have just zapped them because of their wickedness. He could have just killed Jonah straight away. But he doesn't. He even ends up setting the big fish. And we'll see more of God's kindness in the coming chapters. And his kindness, God's kindness to Jonah and to the sailors points us to Jesus. See, it's almost like he wants us to know that Jesus is better. See, it's funny reading this book. It's written centuries before Jesus was even born. But so many aspects are like Jesus. And they show us how great Jesus is. For example, when it comes to obeying God. I've just put a table up there that contrasts Jonah and Jesus. When it comes to obeying God. Jonah went the opposite way. But Jesus committed no sin. When it comes to love for others. Well, initially Jonah wasn't great, but in the end, he was willing to give his life for the sailors. Jesus gave his life for many as a ransom. And it's funny, isn't it, how in terms of the boat, they both slept on the boat, Jesus and Jonah. And they both brought others to know God. Jonah, dare I say it accidentally, Jesus, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so he wants to tell others about God. And then 
the great exclamation point of this whole thing, really, of how the storm was stopped. See, Jonah stopped the storm by when he was thrown into the water. That stopped the storm. But Jesus, in contrast to that, he stopped the storm uh, when he got up. He got up, rebuked the wind. So this is in Mark chapter 4. There had been a storm. Jesus had been asleep in a boat. And he got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. See, Jonah may have had to die. Jesus could just use a word. This story of Jonah doesn't just point to Jonah. It points outside of itself to Jesus. So when we look at this part of Jonah, we see what those who don't know God are like. That is, they're wicked, but not always as bad as we might think. And they're worth speaking to about God. And we see what God and we're like. We're not perfect. Sometimes not as nice as those others around us. And we're often not worshipping God properly. And we see God who is scarily powerful. He uses ordinary people for his purposes and who is kind. And we're drawn to look beyond Jonah to Jesus, who's like Jonah, but better. Jesus who stopped a storm just with words and who had compassion on people and gave his life so that many, including people like us, may live. 